one of the gifts of services like this or funeral services is that it gives us a chance to think about life in light of the fact of death, which is not something that we do naturally or often. Usually we are far too distracted or entertained to ever let our minds go there until death intrudes. It makes us remember the the reality of our mortality. I've often felt like the best way to mark the significance of a death is to remember the significance of life, that it matters how we live. The reason death matters so much is because life matters so much. So I prayerfully chose Psalm chapter 1 for our sermon passage this year's memorial service. Psalm chapter 1 lays out two ways of living. There's no commands in it. Uh, It's just a presentation of reality. Here Here are the two ways. Two ways with two outcomes, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, to use the language of Psalm 1. It really focuses on the way of the righteous, though, and that's what we're really going to dwell on this morning. It tells us what the righteous do not do, and then it tells us what the righteous do, and then it tells us what the righteous are like. And I think that we'll find it instructive as we go forward with our lives after this memorial service. So first, what the righteous don't, what the righteous do not do. The righteous do not live the way wicked people live. In other words, the righteous are not swayed by peer pressure. They're not progressively influenced by who this passage calls wicked people. Let's read verse 1. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So this blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't live by the advice of those who are morally corrupt. They don't follow them on social media for insight on how to live their life. They don't read their self-help books for wisdom on how to make good decisions in life. They don't call them up for advice during life's difficult moments. They also don't stand in the path of sinners, those who break God's commands. They don't adopt their ways. They don't emulate them. And they don't sit in the seat of scoffers, those who mock God and the things of God and take them lightly. So basically the righteous person, when they see someone who lives by these ways, they don't settle in and identify themselves as one of among them. Now, the language of the passage seems harsh to our modern ears, righteous people and wicked people. But the Bible is clear that there is right and there is wrong. Righteous people don't live the way wicked people live. Now, that almost seems hateful to say in that way, but we can love without adopting the lifestyle. We can love without taking advice. We can love without emulating. We can love without identifying as one of. Disagreement does not equal hatred. 
As we read forward, we see that the alternative to walking in the counsel of the wicked and standing in the path of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers isn't to wage war against them or stand against them or scream at them. It's to be unswayed by their influence because we are so enthralled by a better influence. Which brings us to the second point, what the righteous do. So we've seen what the righteous don't, and now we're going to see what the righteous do in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Law here doesn't just mean commands. It means all the instruction of God. It means the things he says are true. Uh, It does include the commands. It means the promises, the warnings, all those things are the, the delight of the righteous person. He enjoys it, loves it, can't wait. It's the way young people are with their screens. Meditates on it day and night, mulls it over, considers it. Bible is ragged, marked up, always near to hand, close to mind, close to heart. And this type of living has an effect, which brings us to the third point. The righteous, what they are like, they're like trees, this psalm tells us in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. So how is a righteous person like a tree? Well, the passage explains what it means by that figure of speech. He's like a tree that's planted by streams of water. So he is securely fastened to the source of life, God's word. I grew up on a little plot of land that had a creek running through it, and I played in that creek all the time. And there were trees that grew up all along the banks of that creek. And occasionally, different parts of the creek, the water will have eroded the dirt away, and you could see a cross-section of the roots of these trees. That's the image that always comes to mind when I think about this passage. It's of a person whose roots are pushed down into the nourishing water of God's word. It yields its fruit in season, produces good things. Leaf does not wither. It's the idea of resiliency. And then if this figurative language isn't clear enough, the last bit there states it literally. In all that he does, he prospers. Successful. Now, in contrast, we'll read on into verse 4, which begins to tell us what the wicked are like. Verse 4. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So where righteous people are securely fastened to a source of life, wicked people are rootless and lacking spiritual nourishment. Where righteous people produce good things, wicked people are barren and don't yield the fruit that human beings are meant to yield. Where righteous people are resilient in the face of the droughts and storms that come, In this fallen world, wicked people wither. Where righteous people prosper, wicked people fail. Now, if you're thinking with a clear mind as we're going through this, you have to be thinking, well, wait a minute. I know plenty of seemingly righteous people, Christians, who are not doing so great. And I know plenty of maybe wicked people, sinful people, who seem like they're doing awesome. So how can this be true? We have to remember that when the Bible talks of prosperity, it's not talking about health and wealth like we might first think. It's talking about something more specific. It's talking about what we read in Romans chapter 8. 
growth in Christ-likeness and a growing experience of God's love through Jesus Christ. That's the fruitfulness, that's the prosperity that the Bible puts forward. So people may have a nice house, but do they have the love of God poured out upon them through Jesus Christ, the unconditional, merciful, gracious love of God? And then are they inundated with that so much that they pour that into others? That's the fruitful tree life that Psalm 1 is talking about. They may have physical health, but do they have the supernatural joy that is available, that runs deeper than circumstances? They may have the American dream, but do they have peace? Have they been made whole through Jesus Christ? They may have a really comfortable retirement, but have they developed patience by receiving God's patient love and then now being able to extend that to others? They may be beautiful, but are they kind? They may have a lot of money, but do they have a lot of goodness? Are they overflowing with goodness? They may have a lot of stuff, but are they faithful? They may be really popular, but are they gentle? They may live a life of ease, but have they developed self-control? All those positive traits are listed in Galatians 5 as the fruits of the Spirit. And when we see fruit, biblically, our minds need to first go there. That's the fruit that we can expect to develop. And these fruits hold up in light of the fact of death. They hold up in light of what we're recognizing during this memorial service. They hold up in light of verses 5 and 6, our final two verses of the passage. I'll read them now. This is the fate the destiny of the righteous and the wicked. Verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this brings us full circle back to where we began. Memorial services and funeral services give us the opportunity to look at life in light of death and judgment, and eternity, when we're often too busy or too entertained to do so. And so we need to land on the gospel, the good news. Now, if you've been a part of this church for a long time, hopefully by now you're sort of aching to hear the good news as I've read this passage. This is a passage that makes us long for the good news if we're really listening for it. The bad news is that the New Testament teaches in Romans that there is no one righteous, no, not one, if we're all brutally honest with ourselves, we're all wicked, we're all sinners, and we're all scoffers. None of us delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night the way we know we should. None of us is really like a tree. Many of us feel withered, maybe even right now. We're all sort of like chaff. None of us will stand in the judgment on our own merits. We're all going to perish. Thank God for the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what gospel means, good news. The good news is Jesus didn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. And he took our judgment upon himself. The judgment meant for wicked people, sinful people, scoffing people, he took upon himself. He secured a place for us in the congregation of the righteous. He perished in our place in order to put us on the right path. He forgives wicked, sinful, scoffing people like Matt Broadway. He transformed 
chaff into trees. I forgot to tell you what chaff is. You might not know. Chaff is the dry, empty husk or shell or the stuff to be discarded during harvest time. It's not, it doesn't have anything of value in it. Jesus gathers that up and transforms it into trees planted by streams of water. That's the good news. He gives us hearts capable of delighting in the law of the Lord and minds capable of meditating on it day and night. When I got to that part, I wonder if you felt like I have felt many times in my life, especially in my younger years, younger as a Christian, I can't delight in the law of the Lord. I know I should delight in the law of the Lord, but I can't just make myself delight in something. It's like a parent telling their child not just to eat the broccoli, but love the broccoli, enjoy the broccoli. Now, you can't just make yourself enjoy something. If it had said, he, he walks not, stands not, sits not, but his duty is in the law of the Lord, then we could embrace that in our natural selves. We can say, well, I will dutifully study the Bible and meditate on it day and night. That is my duty. But it doesn't say that. It says delight. Delights in it. It's pointing ahead to the new covenant in Jesus Christ, wherein we're given this heart transplant and mindset transplant and taste bud, spiritual taste bud transplant, to where this actually becomes tasty. Now, I've told you my story before, but I was not a studious young man coming through school. I was not a reader. Um, studying an, an ancient text is not something that came naturally to me. I was saved at the age of eight, but it really wasn't until after high school when the pastor asked me to teach the middle school Sunday school class that I actually had to dive into this and really meditate on it. And I could taste and see that it is good. I fell in love with it at that time. And I can tell you that that's a supernatural thing. I did not naturally have a taste for an ancient book. But that's part of what Jesus does for us. He saves us and forgives us, but he also transforms us to where we love this. We love God's instructions. I love my mornings with my cup of coffee and I can just pray it all out, whatever's on my mind, and then I can let God just sort of wash my mind out with his word. I love when it comes to mind as I'm praying about a difficult subject or trying to help someone and scripture comes to mind that can give us a grip on reality. I love how it answers all the questions pretty much. I love how it's unexpected in many ways. It is delightful. I'm so thankful that Jesus gathers up the chaff and transforms it into trees planted by streams of water. So that's really it for my sermon. It's a short and simple sermon. Some of you are looking at your watches and thinking they're broken, but they're not. I want to leave you with three ways to respond to Psalm chapter 1. They all start with R's, so you know they're good and true. If there's alliteration, you know it's good and true. They all start with R's. They're all scriptural. They are repent, receive, and renew. So the first one is repent. That was Jesus' very first sermon in Mark when we studied Mark. His first word of his first recorded sermon in the book of Mark was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Whenever we're confronted with God's word, that's step one. Just let it search our hearts. What's, what's in here? Is there wickedness in me? Is there sin in me? Is there scoffing in me? Is there a way that I've been walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the path of sinners, 
um, sitting in the seat of scoffers. I want to just turn away from all that, recognizing the reality of what we've seen in Psalm 1. The second way to respond is to receive. It's to receive this good news, this gift of Jesus Christ. Now, as some of you are thinking, I've heard the good news at least once weekly for 50 years. This is still for you, though. We have to hear it over and over and over again because we'll forget. Even if we don't forget intellectually, we'll forget in our hearts. And we'll wander back to trying to earn it. We'll wander back to trying to be really good people. Or we'll just wander away from Jesus altogether and drift away. So we need to receive it afresh. If you are in Christ, if you have repented of your your sins and embrace Jesus as your risen Savior and your Lord, you are fully and completely for all time forgiven. God, through his mercy and grace in Jesus Christ, looks at you and sees Jesus' perfect righteousness. And so you can read a psalm like this, and instead of thinking back to your own record and saying, well, am I righteous or am I wicked? And trying to maybe convince yourself, well, I guess I'm, I'm more righteous than this guy over here. You can look back and say, well, no, I on my own am wicked, but I've been given Jesus's righteousness. So now I get to live this way. God looks at me this way, and now I get to live this way, which brings me to the third way to respond, renew. Let's renew our commitment to this distinct way of life that Jesus has made possible for us unswayed by the ways of the world, delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Like Romans 12 says, let us not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Let's become like trees, firmly planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, planted, nourished, fruitful, resilient, prosperous in the right way. When we think about the fact of death, we have to confront the fact that our lives aren't temporary. Our lives are temporary in this world and we want to live them the best way we can. And Jesus has made that possible for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Thank you that you look down upon wicked people, sinful people, scoffing people, and that you've made a way for forgiveness and reconciliation, redemption. Thank you for that mercy. Thank you for that grace. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would live like that firmly planted tree that you would work out the reality of Psalm chapter one in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.